Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing top trending specialty foods to expect in 2023 and a new food safety testing tool to detect foodborne pathogens. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aish Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thank you for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a really interesting technology that has come out of our home nation, Canada, recently. So a company called Sixth Wave Innovations, they're based in Halifax, uh, they recently announced that uh, their patent-pending Accelerated Molecularly Imprinted Polymer, or AMIPs, food safety testing technology has expanded its library of, of detectable foodborne illness-causing pathogens. And the AMIPs, uh, the, the technology, it already includes E. coli, but the new tool will also cover the other big ones like Salmonella and Listeria. So Garrett Kraft, who's the BP, VP of Innovation at Six Wave, said E. coli, Salmonella, and Listeria are three of the most prevalent bacteria associated with foodborne illnesses. The ability to rapidly test and detect these pathogens on food and processing equipment allows for immediate intervention and remediation that can reduce widespread contamination that results in loss of product, foodborne illness, and subsequent devastating economic impact to the food producers associated with product recalls. So according to the USDA, in 2018, there were over 1 million salmonella cases that led to 378 deaths and cost $4.14 billion per year. And while there were fewer E. coli and listeria cases and deaths, they still cost approximately $311 million and $3.19 billion per year, respectively. So from the identification of outbreaks to outpatient expenditures and lost wages, foodborne illness outbreaks cost Americans obviously billions each, each year. And Six Wave is hopeful that its food safety testing tool will reduce these multi-billion dollar outbreaks. So in order to expand its scope, Six Wave integrated new bacteria imprinted biosensor components into a prototype device, and initial selectivity data showed promising results that enabled quick, on-site, multiplex testing capabilities, meaning that users would be able to detect multiple pathogens at the same time. The advancement will allow the company to commercialize a set of rapid diagnostic tools for food safety testing. And one of the largest industry difficulties to food safety testing is the excessive cost of microbial testing equipment along with skilled labor. So the most common testing techniques include chromatography and spectroscopy for small molecule and heavy metals testing, as well as PCR, which we're all familiar with at this point, um, and immunoassay for pathogen detection. However, the company's AMIP's testing platform offers the food industry a fast, reliable, and cost-effective way to increase food safety testing frequency and ensure that the quality of food and beverage pr products 
The nearly instant testing time, ranging from seconds to approximately five minutes, is much faster than the week-long turnaround of current methods. And such rapid testing time can reduce facility downtime and allow for more frequent food safety testing. Contaminated equipment can also be quickly identified and cleaned, resulting in smaller batches of tainted products that can easily be isolated before leaving the facility. And additionally, the testing can be conducted on-site at a fraction of the cost of currently uh, used certified lab testing. Along with the AMIP's platform, SixWave also developed its pathogenic Amines Detection System, or PADS, a sensing technology for the detection of biomarkers associated with food spoilage. Um, now, the prototype food sensor can easily be integrated into in individually packaged retail meat products to help food producers monitor the safety of their product, product throughout the production process. These food testing technologies have the potential to address critical operational pain points in the food production sector and give consumers confidence in the safety of the products that they are buying. So obviously in this story, we have a lot of um, crossover in, in the science world and, and things a lot of things that reminded me of, of things that we've spoken about on the food, uh, sorry, on the life science po podcast. But one thing I, I wanted to ask you guys is, did you realize how large of a cost was associated with foodborne illness outbreaks in the billions? No, I had, I had no idea it was in the billions. Like that is... An insane amount of money. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I even wonder why is it that high? Is that was that number for like testing or just like the money that's spent because there was already an outbreak? Or maybe so, like recalls and, and things like that. Yeah, so to my knowledge and, and what I was able to find from the, you know, the USDA when they they reported these numbers is that it ranges from like the start to the finish of of a foodborne illness outbreak so like the identification and then the inpatient and outpatient expenditures and then lost wages and then mm -hmm. the estimates of individuals willingness to pay to reduce mortality resulting from these foodborne illnesses so it's it's every step of the way mm -hmm. um and and that is unfortunately billions of dollars and and i can imagine as someone who contracted a foodborne illness how hurt and upset they would be in addition to you know the the illness itself but you know you it, it feels wrong that it, and it wasn't your fault either so obviously you want to be compensated for that as the individual as well but i i was also really shocked to to find out how expensive um you know these outbreaks are yeah i had no idea that this that the cost was so sky high in the billions of dollars but it makes sense now that you've outlined sydney that like you know it's from like every, it involves every step of, of an outbreak from diagnosis to treatment to rectifying whatever it was that caused the outbreak. So um, that's a very, very, that's very eye-opening, I would say. And I think we kind of um, take for granted, you know, really like how much of a cost and burden this is on, on people and everybody involved from the manufacturers as well, of course, obviously. So um, yeah, it only makes sense then to invest in new food safety testing technologies. And I think this is this, um, you know, this company that's coming out with different innovations on that front. It's, it's really great to, to see that they're using different um, tools and integrating different technologies to try to better um, food safety testing because um, I think 
it, it makes sense for companies. I think maybe some companies don't realize that investing in these food safety technologies um, up front like pays off in the long run. So I think maybe more and more companies might like, you know, uh, should pay heed to that so that um, they can not only ensure public safety, but also cost savings at the end of the day all around. So, yeah, exactly. And I think the two biggest things uh, for for food producers uh, is cost. Obviously, you want to you don't want to go broke, but you also do want to invest. And then second is ease of use. Um, a lot of this testing is it's very scientific and I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And I think as you know, keeping it as simple as possible would really help, I think, to just just the entire process, speeding it up. And, and this the test that uh, Six Wave offers is, is happens very quickly as opposed to um, the potential week long turnaround um, of current methods, which I also thought was pretty long, uh, especially when we're dealing with public health, to, to have to wait a week for results to come back. At that point, it's it's too late. People could have already contracted foodborne illnesses. And, and I, I think a week is, is far too long. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, technology really has come a long way in terms of preventing foodborne illness. But of course, it still happens. And, and we do need companies like this um, that are A, speeding up the process and B, doing it a little more cheaply and more easily for for food producers. So Sydney, um, you've mentioned that it's much quicker than a week compared to conventional testing for food safety. I'm wondering like how quick is there's the six wave offering? Testing? So they say that it's nearly instant. So it ranges from a couple seconds to approximately five minutes. So this turnaround is, is obviously so much faster. I would it's it's if we're going to compare it to like, you know, the things we're used to, like COVID testing, it's like a rapid test compared to, you know, our, our PCR test, which obviously is more uh, uh, at this point, we know it's more accurate. But just to give people an idea like of how quick it actually is. All right, well, moving on. So we saw a report from the Specialty Food Association Trend Spotter panel and, uh, recently, and they predicted what will be trending in the specialty food space next year in 2023. So this panel, comprised of culinary professionals from diverse industry segments, they researched numerous specialty foods and companies to predict key emerging trends for the upcoming year. So the Specialty Food Association Vice President of Resource Development said, specialty food consumers are looking to make their meal prep easy but exciting, uh, and that is driving many of this year's trends regarding convenience, packaging improvements, and global flavors. At the same time, they continue to care about their food, sorry, how their food is grown, and the health benefits it offers, giving rise to evolving sustainability, plant-based, and better-for-you trends. So I'm going to touch on a few of the trends that were uh, predicted by this year's panel. So first is convenience. So as consumers have been increasingly cooking at home during and post-pandemic, the panel predicted that brands will focus on providing tools and recipes for at-home chefs to make meals that don't sacrifice authenticity, convenience, or taste. And examples of this trend were found at the Specialty Food Association's annual Summer Fancy Food Show um, with a company, for example, a company Bella San Lucci offering sauce starters to help consumers create restaurant quality meals at home. 
And meal kit popularity also led the New York Times to release a series of home cooking kits, with each kit designed by a guest chef to focus on one type of cuisine made with non-perishable specialty ingredients. Now, the second one is environmentally friendly foods. So the panel also predicted that consumers will be looking out for innovative packaging that can offer increased portability while lessening messiness. And brands should similarly look to improve messaging on their labels and tap into consumer values like sustainability. And continued sustainability and environmental concerns led environmentally friendly foods to rank second on the panel's 2023 trends. So specialty foods like mushrooms, seaweed, and jackfruit have been developed into different products, and pasta's pandemic-fueled comeback made room for more innovation with black rice, pumpkin, red lentils, and purple carrots. So the panel expects to see um, more from visionary entrepreneurs engaging in regenerative agriculture who are creating seed-to-shelf sustainable supply chains. And other trending specialty foods um, included better for you and functional foods. They'll also continue to grow in 2023, um, as well as an increased interest in bold and intense flavor experiences in the upcoming year, building on the hot sauce renaissance that started uh, offering consumers nuanced taste experiences, equally, pri um, equally prioritizing heat and flavor. Uh, also, there's going to be a growing demand for alternative seafood um, amid emerging technologies that can provide traditional taste and textures. And other major specialty food trends that the panel identified included an increased desire for globally inspired condiments, sauces and oils, interest in international fruit, uh, beverage and snack applications, and a continued shift toward naturally occurring sweeteners. So I just threw a lot of things at you, uh, but obviously there's a lot um, that we're going to see in the next year. And I always am interested to, um, you know, look back at the previous year and, and see if, if they were correct. Um, now, I will do that again <laughs> this time, this time next year to see if they were correct. But based on what I've been writing about um, this past year, I think that the that this is a great indication of what we're going to continue seeing. Um, I think I don't think meal kits are going anywhere anytime soon. I think just because you still can go to the grocery store now without as much of a fear. Um, I think people really love the convenience of those. Um, and it also gives them more like recipe inspiration and ideas. And it just cuts down on a lot of the time consuming elements of cooking. And in terms of environmentally friendly foods, I think younger generations are really leading this charge as well. Um, and that just that doesn't include just the food. It also includes the packaging as well. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to uh, to get your thoughts. Which were there any um, of these trends that stood out to you or that you didn't expect uh, the the panel to have predicted for for next year? I was just um, thinking, like for the convenience. I guess we can talk about each of the three um, main topics you you listed here. But for the convenience one, you know, the New York Times released this series of home cooking kits. That just really reminded me of, um, is it is it HelloFresh that does those meal kits? Yeah, yeah. So it's like the similar idea, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially they're now a competitor, I guess, of HelloFresh, right? So okay. I think the main difference with the New York Times uh, meal kits versus HelloFresh is that um, 
the New York Times one is made with non-perishable specialty ingredients, while HelloFresh typically will send like fresh produce and meat as well. So I think that the New York Times meal kits are a little less like you still have to get some of the ingredients yourself um, unless they're using entirely non-perishable ingredients, which I, I feel like that's not really true. I feel like that's more of like a starter pack. And then HelloFresh is like the entire meal you get in, in, in there. But in the, the grand scheme of things, I would say, yeah, they're still competitors because it's still a similar service that they're offering. Yeah, I always found it interesting when um, for, I guess, the shipping of like, you know, uncooked meat and stuff like that to people's houses. I mean, I guess they have like a a way it's set up so that nothing really spoils in transport. Yeah, I've actually done it before. Um, uh, at the height of the pandemic, I was ordering um, meal kits and um, yeah, they you know when it's coming, you know the day that it's coming and um, it comes in these sort of at least with like meat and things that need to be refrigerated, these like pretty sophisticated like ice packs, I would say. Um, so they stay cold the whole time. And then, you know, once you get it, you just discard those and put them in the fridge and they stay fresh. But yeah, it obviously has to be done on a much more local level. And I feel like I don't know exactly which warehouse my specific packages were coming from, but I guarantee you that they have many around uh, North America. Um, just to keep the food as fresh as possible. Cause yeah, the logistics of that can be kind of complicated. I also found it interesting um, with respect to environmentally friendly foods, um, because I think, uh, yeah, we kind of typically think about foods that have less of an impact on the environment in terms of um, the way they're grown and just to find more sustainable ways of growing certain crops and certain uh, foods and items so that's a big part of it of course but um, I also like the packaging component which we often um, kind of forget about or we kind of think of it as a totally separate area but it's not it's part and packaging if not <laughs> um, uh, aptly said I guess um, you know it's part and parcel of of the food item so I think that's really great that people are more um, aware of the importance of reducing packaging and having more sustainable packaging and a lot of manufacturers are uh, really paying attention to that and I think personally that's you know I've become so much more aware of that in recent years as well especially when you're not just takeout but like just at the grocery store you're like oh well does this really have to be packaged in this much plastic or something or you know things like that so I think that's a very big area and um, it's it's great that that's part of the overall when we think about a, a certain food item that that's part of the overall obviously the footprint of that product and that that's um, being taken into consideration. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One thing that, you know, fruit um, and not all vegetables, but many vegetables come in their own packaging and it's their skin or it's whatever, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and, cool, and yeah. recently I've, I've kind of stopped using those like plastic bags yeah. at the grocery stores because, you know, you're going to you're going to be washing it anyway. Um, and you can put them in your bag with your other food like it's it's everything's mm -hmm. going to be OK. You can imagine the things that these fruits and vegetables have gone through on transit, you know, right. to the grocery store. <laughs> it's not like putting it in a bag is going to 
like make it any better, uh, you know, or safer for you to eat. You're going to wash them anyway. Um, and yeah, like those prepackaged like fruits and vegetables, like it, it, you know, I understand convenience, obviously, that's one of the main things, but then it's like, oh, they, you know, you can just cut it up. Like it, it it's like, but again, you, we, we have to balance like what they, they have to like grocery stores and, and just corporations have to balance what consumers want, but also, mm-hmm. you know, the, the convenience element, but then also the sustainability element. And often those two things aren't really intertwined, like when we think about it, because convenience often involves prepackaged foods and, and plastic and mm-hmm. things like that. So hopefully we can find a way to merge those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think the other interesting thing is um, that the panel predicted is about the increased interest in bold and intense flavor experiences, which is very interesting. I think we're definitely becoming a lot more global, obviously, but, you know, globally interconnected. And I feel like now more than ever, like we're so willing to try different foods and different flavors from different cultures, different parts of the world, and people are becoming more um, you know, accustomed to or developing tastes for, you know, newer flavors, like, yeah, the hot sauce phenomenon. And like, that's caught on so much in recent years. And people's, I guess, spice tolerances are going up and things like that. So I think that's really cool, uh, cool, too. And uh, yeah, I do see those kinds of changing tastes around me as well, in terms of like, what I see people being more open to eating and trying. So maybe thanks to like social media and TikTok trends, too. <laughs> I was just going to say that, actually. I know we bash social media and TikTok <laughs> a lot for very good reasons, but sometimes it comes through and, yeah, it gives us inspiration a little bit. I have absolutely tried recipes that I've seen on social media, um, and it's it's they, they lay it all out for you, and it's so easy. Um, we no longer have to pay for, like, you know, cookbooks and and obviously people still do and they're still like great resources but we don't really have to anymore like we have access to chefs and and people from all around the world um showing us really interesting recipes that we we weren't able to see as easily like 10 20 years ago and i think the element of also a lot of the times they're in a video um is so helpful rather than it just being written sort of Mm. um you know on a piece of paper i think we like to see what we're gonna get ourselves into um in like a 60 second video it's it's so easy so yeah we'll give social media credit for that one yeah yeah we'll let that one we'll let that one (laughs) we'll give that one to to to, it's okay All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. 
Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.